you may want to be the coolest, most affirming parent in the world and to announce it proudly from the rooftop. But if your kid is not ready for that step, you need to listen to them. Hello, and welcome back to You Need a Counselor podcast. This is episode 109. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Dr. Julie Johnson. I am the president and founder here at Heart and Solutions Counseling and Behavioral Health Agency. So if you're in Iowa and looking for uh, therapy or behavioral health for your kiddos, um, reach out to us anywhere in Iowa. We can still do telehealth or in any of our six office locations. And I'm Krista Hunt. I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions in charge of our BHIS department. So BHIS stands for Behavioral Health Intervention Services. And that is our program where we go in home and work with children ages four through 18 on different behavioral skills. And this is our podcast, You Need a Counselor. So we are designed for people curious about counseling, but have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services. Yeah, so we post every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Central. There's a new episode every single Sunday night. Uh, We encourage you to batch up your laundry or your dishes or your meal prep or whatever task you hate doing. Go ahead and batch that up for Sunday nights. Uh, That gives you that entire week of meals prepared for yourself or clean clothes to wear throughout that week. It also gives you that entire week to get connected with your counselor. If you haven't seen them in a while, uh, get scheduled with them, get in touch with a counselor or get in touch with our guests or resources from that week. Mm-hmm. Um, so check us out Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Central. So today we have a guest from California. Um, we're very, very excited about this guest. Uh, he is an author. He is a speaker. Um, he has a monthly web series um, and does just a lot of advocacy, educational work um, to help the LGBTQIA community. Um, so we are very, very excited to welcome uh, John Sovek to the show. Welcome, John. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's so much fun to come and hang out with you all today. And those of you who are doing your laundry or a meal prep, hey, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Heck yes. I love it. Yeah. Folding laundry is the worst. I feel like. <laughs> That's the one that I put off until Sunday nights. Uh, and then it's like, oh, good. I have clean clothes for the week. Thank goodness for uh, laundry batching. So uh, <laughs> welcome, John. So John is the author of the book Out, A Parent's Guide to Supporting You. LGBTQIA plus kid through coming out and beyond. Um, so this is a guide for parents. Tell us about this book. Who is it for? Uh, and how can people benefit from reading this book? Well, I think the best way that I like to describe the need and the use of this book is you're a parent and your kid has come out to you, or you even suspect that your kid may be getting ready to come out to you. And at two in the morning, your anxiety is high, you're worried, you're worried about your kid's well-being. And this is that book that you can reach out to, open up, and it'll be like you and I sitting down with a nice cup of tea and talking through all your fears and anxieties about your kid coming out, how it's going to affect you and your family, and to have a place to sit down and really understand the process and have knowledge to help react to all of that anxiety and fear. Awesome. So what is some of the information then that parents can expect to get when they read it? Like what are some of the helpful tips or info that you give in that book? 
Well, you know, I've been working with parents and families of LGBTQ kids for lots of years now. And the most basic thing that comes up for almost every parent is like, all these words, these words, I don't know what they're talking about. And we actually start with a really basic down to earth, how to build your vocabulary about working with the LGBTQIA plus community. You know, you hear these words about gender and gender and sexual orientation, you words like asexual and bisexual and demisexual, and all of these words are floating around and parents get overwhelmed. So we start there at the most basic level. And then we look at the actual process of coming out to help parents understand that this is not just a mom, dad, I've come out, but it's a lifelong ongoing process that they're going through. We mm -hmm. move through recognizing the family grieving process because there is a grieving process that takes place in this moment of growth and transition. Um, look at it as the whole family being involved in the process of coming out because it's not just the person who's coming out. Everybody in that circle is going to be influenced or affected by it. And then we look at, you know, how to talk more effectively with your kids, how to become an advocate for your kid, and really just the whole gamut from A to Z about how to support your kid when they're coming out. I love this. I love that you're acknowledging the fears and the anxieties and the, I want to do the right thing, but I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm going to mess it up or I feel like uh, I'm I'm going to unintentionally do something wrong. Um, but then also the fears that cause that unsupportive uh, reaction as well. And I love that you're acknowledging that, yeah, there are fears and anxieties that are causing those behaviors um, that might not be the intention, right? But that's, that's what is at the heart of so many of these things. And you're also acknowledging that grieving process. And I love that you're able to say, yes, you can be supportive and you can be grieving at the same exact time. And you can do both effectively at the same time. You don't have to choose one or the other. Um, and the one and thing I think that I think yeah. is so important to understand about this grieving process is we're not actually talking about grieving your child coming out. What I like to work with parents on is you're grieving the the idea of what you projected as your your kid's mm -hmm. life. Um, as a parent, your kid is born, they hand them to you, you look down at its little eyes, and you project forward an entire lifetime for this kid where they join a sports team and learn to cook and become the valedictorian of your school and go to your alma mater and then move into a house next door to you and have kids and dogs. And it's this one big happy family. But when a kid comes out, that dream shatters. And that's the process that we're grieving, letting go of that projected life trajectory for your kid and instead learning to meet them where they're at. And remember, all of those things in that fantasy could still happen, but they're just going to happen differently. And that's the space we're trying to let parents move through. Mm -hmm. I love that because a lot of times as parents, we don't even know that we're doing it until yeah. something threatens it. And so that idea that we have of oh, when I'm a grandmother, right, or oh, when I like when you go to prom or when I walk you down the aisle, just all of these things that that we we do and they become sort of part of our relationship sometimes without us even knowing it. And once we once something happens that disturbs that, we can feel very protective of that thought, right? We don't want to let it go. We enjoy it. We want to have it. And we don't like the idea of trying of changing that. Um, but it happens all the time. Uh, our child coming out 
is just one example of the ways that that picture that we have in our head that we have uh, thought about the future changes. Um, I remember when my so I'm a cat person. And I remember when my daughter was like, when I grow up, I'm not going to have any cats. And I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm going to have a dog and a big dog. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and that's the thing is like, I never would have said out loud to myself or to anybody. I think that my child should have, right? Like it's a, a thing that I think that my child should have cats when they grow up. But when she says it, it threatens that kind of picture I have in my mind about who we are as a family, who she is as a grown-up person, even though she's six. <laughs> um, and and then I do need to let that go, but I need to acknowledge that I've had it and that it's me that put that on her. She did nothing to make to build up this idea. It's not like she is breaking a promise to me when she says, I'm not going to have cats when I grow up. But I think that the acknowledgement as the parent or the support person to go, okay, wait, we this isn't an agreement she's breaking with me. She never agreed to that in the first place, right? I created that idea. I did that. And now I need to let that go because that's not validating who she actually is yeah yeah it's yeah. beautiful um that grieving process and just acknowledging that it's a thing because sometimes people recognize it and they go, oh well, i feel other, bad about that yeah the other thing to understand too is by the time your kid comes out to you they have been processing this and thinking about this and knowing this about themselves for quite a while and if you as a parent yeah there are some parents who are going to be like yeah we we kind of knew or we had a suspicion or we were waiting for you to tell us there are other parents where this is a complete shock to who they are. And so it's about like trying to bring those two processes into alignment. And I not only talk to the parents about the fact they're going through a grieving process potentially, but I also make sure and let the kid know, like I tell them what I just said, you've been processing this for a while. This is new news for your parents. Let's give them a tiny bit of space to go through their own process too. Mm -hmm. uh, um. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know Julie was going to ask a question. Okay, um, so in your book title, LGBTQIA+, what, what does that abbreviation stand for, for people who have no idea? <laughs> okay, so that's lesbian, lesbian, gay, bisexual, LGBTQ, queer, transgender, intersex, and it can be either asexual, affirming, or ally for the A. And then what the plus covers... And it's an interesting conversation in our queer community. I am an openly queer therapist. I advocate and educate within my community. That plus is a beautiful representation of all the different other aspects of sexual orientation and gender identity that do exist out there. And, and it's it's this richness, this, this beautiful idea that rather than just sitting back and saying, oh, there's only one choice, there's black or white, there's zeros or ones, that there is this beautiful spherical idea of both sexual orientation and gender identity. And that's what that plus covers in that conversation. That is so helpful. And I think that you, what you're saying about starting at that basic, starting at what are, what do these terms mean mm -hmm. um, is so helpful because it, it's what we're trying to do about counseling. It's taking the mystery out of what's happening mm -hmm. um, and being able to, to say, okay, 
that is a long string of letters. And if I've never seen that before, I'm feeling out of my element, right? So now I'm feeling like, am I allowed to ask that, right? Am I allowed to uh, not know what that is? If I go Google, is that, does that make me weird, right? So <laughs> all of these, all of these pieces that come in. So I love that you're taking that proactive approach in the book and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the tools that you need, the information that you need um, in order to have these conversations, because the conversations are what's really going to be the most important, but you need the tools to be able to do well, that. And think about it this way. If I took you down to the local swimming pool and threw you into the deep end of the pool, you would probably sink like a stone and drown to the bottom. But if I put you into the shallow end of the pool with floaties under your arms, then you're going to be like, oh, this isn't so bad. Wow, water's nice. Oh, it feels good. Okay, I can go forward with this. And then we start moving towards like taking the floaties away. And then we move towards the deeper end of the pool and can have these more affirming conversations. So for me, like having that language, those are the floaties. Those are the things that keep you, keep you lifted up just high enough that you can start having conversations with your kids. And an important thing to notice is that, and I talk about this in the book, is that these definitions are still shifting and changing and growing. Mm -hmm. And what you may think the word queer means may have a different meaning to your kid. If your kid says they're non-binary, you're like, aha, I read about this. I know what it means. Their definition may have a little bit of different shading to it. So one of the questions that I use that I think is really powerful is if someone comes into my office and says, yeah, I, I'm bisexual. Rather than click, 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 ah, uh, yes, bisexual person, I'm like, tell me how that shows up in your world. Mm -hmm. A how question and a curiosity into their experience of their bisexuality in their lived experience. So that's different than my assumptions about what bisexuality means. And it shows up in their actual process of their day-to-day -day living. Absolutely. Because there are, sexuality is so, it's, it's behavioral. I think that sometimes the behavioral part gets the most attention, right? So when we think about human sexuality, a lot of times the first thing we think about is the behavioral aspect, but sexuality is so much more than yeah. behavior and physical aspects of sexuality. Uh, our, the way that our sexuality impacts the things that are going on internally for us is, is far beyond any physical sexual acts that may happen or not happen. Um, but I think that because when we talk about sexuality in our society, those behavioral pieces get the most kind of forefront in our minds. Um, and what I love about the plus is that we don't have to be limited by physical sexual acts. Um, so if, if uh, I'm a bisexual woman, but I'm married to a man, that's okay. I don't, I, I'm not showing that in my actions, right? But it's, it's still part of who I am. And so I, I love that you are uh, in your book, you're helping those parents and those caregivers to understand that it's not, we kind of put it with the action. If, a, if our child says, uh, I'm bisexual, we go, oh, okay, well, that means you're going to date men and you're going to date women. Not necessarily. <laughs> That's not necessarily what that means. But if I'm a parent or a caregiver and I hear that and then I go, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to walk you down the aisle. Right. I'm never going to start going into that process of thinking I know what's going to happen in the future. Right. Then that's going to cause me to do some things that maybe I don't I don't intend to do. 
as I'm talking with my child. Um, so and, I and love what you're doing. An interesting thing that goes with that is also too, when a kid is coming out about their sexual orientation, for most people, like if I tell you I'm gay, your first way of codifying that in your brain is saying, oh, you sleep with men. And what's so important to understand is that me being gay is so much more than that. You know, what you were talking about is not just who I have sex with or who I'm attracted to. It's about a process that I've been through. And if you think about it as a parent, if your kid comes out about their sexual orientation and you think about it in terms of like, oh, they have sex with, all of a sudden your beautiful little baby, you're like, oh my God, they're having sex. Mm -hmm. And that's another one of those fear factors that shows up when what we're really talking about is a deep internal process and helping parents to walk through that, oh my God, my kid is having sex fear and saying, no, 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 they're telling you about a part of who they are. They may not have started dating. They may not have started you know, having attractions. All of these are pieces of a bigger puzzle and a bigger story. Absolutely. That's beautiful um, because it, it absolutely, it's not just that, who am I having sex with? Who am I dating? What are the behaviors? Um, but it's, it's what's happening internally for us and it's our experiences in the world. Um, and that's what you're asking people about. That's what you're focusing on. And I think that's beautiful um, because labeling is so helpful and so harmful. <laughs> It's so helpful to know what these terms are. If I, if my child says I'm asexual, it's helpful to have an, an, an understanding of what that could mean. Um, at the same time, it's, I love what you're doing. You're teaching people to go past that. So now, yes, I've got, I'm in the shallow end and I've got those floaties on and I have enough of an understanding to know what that could mean. Now, what does that mean for my child? What does that actually mean? to them um, is the more important question. And that's the one that you're teaching people to ask. I mean, that's beautiful. Now, when you're having a parent that is going, okay, I'm going to get this book because I, I suspect that my child might come out to me at some time or I've, you know, I, and I, I don't want to mess it up and they go and read this book. How do you recommend that somebody read this? Do you recommend that they read it themselves ahead of time? Do you recommend that people who are co-parenting read it together? What do you find to be a, an effective way to use the book as a tool? Can I take it as D, all of the above? Yes, please. <laughs> you know, I personally think every parent should have this book on their nightstand because we're not just talking about conversations about the LGBTQ community, but also about basic levels of sexual orientation and gender identity that all kids are asking these days. It's a really beautiful place we're at in the universe. And I know for many people it's bringing up fear, but the idea that maybe how we were raised was a world where like you're male, you're female, you're gay, you're straight. But kids these days are asking these deeper questions. They're looking at this more fully experienced idea of sexual orientation and gender identity. So yes, this book will assist a parent whose kid is coming out. It will also assist you to be present with your kids, to be curious with them about their world. You know, one of the things that I do in my practice is I work with lots of adolescents, both gay and straight, and everywhere along the spectrum of our, our, our beautiful LGBTQ community. And with, like, if I have a straight kid come in, 
I am so casual about asking questions about attraction and, and feelings of gender that it opens up and deepens conversations. You know, I had one experience with this kid who identified as uh, cisgender straight male, and we were talking about just having a lot of trouble with dating. And I just casually said, so are, and, and oh, let me give you, because this is actually part of the story, football player, jock, like head of the school, like big man on campus kind of energy. And I casually said, it's like, well, I mean, is this only attraction to girls? Or are you attracted to guys as well? And because the openness in our conversation was so casual, there was like, you know, I've thought about guys, but it's just kind of not my thing. So we were taking this very stereotypical, very gendered role of a kid in school. And because we had this conversation being so open and so fluid, he was able to identify this, this feeling, this interest, and also recognize that it wasn't, it wasn't his path. And that to me is the importance of this book for every parent to have, mm -hmm. you know, and using the book, which interests you ask the question, using it as a tool. I like to think of it more as once again, as I said earlier, you and I are sitting together. I'm walking by your side. It's a guide. It's a moment where you're going to look into it and say like, we have hit this moment in this process and I need some help. Let me open it up. And one of the things I did just for the fun of it, and I mentioned this in the introduction of the book, is I have a chapter at the end, which is what I call LGBTQ SOS 101. And it's for those panic questions that parents who may be picking up the book are having in the moment. And it just gets down to nuts and bolts, do this now, do this now, do this now. And then let's go back into the book and go into these deeper processes. So it's got this like beautiful give and take. The other thing that's really important to understand is coming out is a lifelong process. And if you think about it, me coming on your program and talking to myself as an openly queer man, that's me coming out to you and to your audience. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a comfort level that goes with it. And it's happening on a day-to-day -day process all the time. As a cisgender straight person, you're not having that experience. And so to understand if your kid comes out to you, it's not a one and done thing. This is a lifelong process for your kid, for you, for the entire family. That is so interesting because, I mean, I know that's true, but I've never really thought about that. Like every time you meet someone, you have to come out all over again because they don't just assume. So that is really interesting to think about. Uh, okay, so you also host OutTalk. Can you give us some info on that and what are some of the topics that you cover in that monthly um, web series that you have? So OutTalk is this absolutely amazing web series that I do with an organization called OutCare Health. And they are a national organization that brings education and advocacy to the LGBTQ care community. So we're looking at doctors, nurses, mental health providers. And the mission of the organization is to try and bring education at all levels, but especially starting initially in med school, in grad programs, to talk about how to be affirming and supportive of the LGBTQ community. So OutTalk is, it's stunning the people that I've had the opportunity to talk to at this point. And it really is conversations about various issues that influence and affect the LGBTQ community. And what's happened too, although it's designed for professionals, the conversations have gotten so deep and so beautiful. We're finding that people in all walks of life are joining us now and listening in. This, we had a beautiful piece last year about um, working on gender identity. And we talked about gender euphoria, which is this idea of as we become more comfortable with our trans and non-binary identity, like celebrating 
this energy. We've had beautiful conversations about bisexuality and pansexuality and seeing how it is for, for people walking through the world with those identities. Um, we had an amazing, totally off topic one. that was a lot of fun. Um, it was about traveling as an LGBTQ person. It was a joyous episode. It was really playful and fun. And then we've got a new series going on this year where we're looking at communities of color. We just did a beautiful episode for Black History Month with a series of Black panelists of people who are professionals, doctors, therapists, um, uh, researchers in the LGBTQ field. We're going to be doing a community of colors conversation with people of Latin communities, and we're gonna be doing one with people of Asian communities during the year. Really, really powerful conversations. And I always joke with them, we have, a, we have an hour format, and we're like, we need to go to three hours. This is so <laughs> cool. It's so amazing. And the people that I have been honored to talk with, it's stunning, stunning conversations. I love that. It's beautiful. I, I think it's so uh, it's so beautiful to have care providers and people who are receiving care having those conversations together. Um, and it's it doesn't sound like it's only educational. It is educational, but it's also, it's discussion and it's bringing all of these different viewpoints together. Um, and I love that you are bringing in um, people of color and the experiences that uh, people of different ethnic backgrounds are are having in getting care um, and in society in general. Um, when you were talking about coming out, being a lifelong uh challenge or not challenge, but just something we do. It's a routine. Um, and one thing that came to mind too, for me is that there are things about ourselves that we are constantly coming out to new people about. Um, I shared something with Krista two months ago, maybe. And I said, I've been so scared to tell you this. I feel like I'm coming out to you right now. <laughs> I, I am. I have been so scared. Right. Um, and then I told her, she is wonderful and it's great but you know at for me uh i was born in korea i'm korean uh by birth and i was adopted as a child and that's something that is constantly coming out right and i think that people sometimes they meet me and they have the question like they want like but you can't ask somebody where are you where do you come from right like you can't ask somebody are you chinese um you can't like you can't say that stuff you can but people feel like they can't right um and so people are hesitant to broach the subject and then it's like well we have to be the one to kind of come out and and share it and then once that information is shared then it's like okay well that's the tra trajectory that we are on right so um i think that there are all of these different ways that we're coming out to people all the time and we're sharing these pieces of ourselves with different people and we get to choose when we do that we get to choose how we do that um but when we when we present to a new person um and it's something that is physical about us right and it's like okay there are gonna be questions here um then then it does create that challenge so I love that you guys are talking about um those different things in those episodes so out and, talk. As, and where and can people where can people uh, hear these episodes? So it's on a website called outcarehealth.org. And it's important to, to understand, um, bringing it back to the parent story, because I think this is vital as well, too. I've mentioned a couple of times that this is a family process as well as a lifelong process. And to understand that as a parent, your kid comes out to you 
And then you're holding that sanctity for them, that story for them until they say, yeah, you can tell the other parent as well too. Or yes, let's get everybody mm -hmm. together. And I want to tell my siblings. Not ready to tell grandparents yet or aunts and uncles. I want to keep that internal to the family. Then are we going to come out to the community? Are we coming? My kid comes out of school. Do I want to then become an advocate for their school to have more affirming policies toward LGBTQIA plus kids? This process of coming out is going to affect everybody. Most important thing, though, that I tell parents is you need to follow the lead of your kid in this process. You may want to be the coolest, most affirming parent in the world and announce it proudly from the rooftop. But if your kid is not ready for that step, you need to listen to them. You know, I had an amazing, really well-meaning parent um, setting up a, a holiday party for the family and their kid had come out as trans and they were really in the depths of developing their identity that they were ready to present to the world. Mom in this like, ah, I'm so proud of you. I'm so sent out the invitation with my client's new name. Mm -hmm. My client was not ready to tell the world what that name was or come to the party in that new affirmed gender. And so it was a big miss and we had a long conversation about it and we got the kid to understand mom was just trying to be supportive, but also mom to understand that we need to take it at the kid's pace. And I think that's really important for parents to understand. Yes, you want to stand out. You want to be an advocate for your kid, but you need to listen to them and hear where they're willing and able to be comfortable with announcing their gender identity or sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 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 Because as a child, we are so we're beholden to what our family does far more than we are maybe as an adult. As an adult, when I meet a new person, I can tell them whatever I want to tell them and I don't have to tell them stuff I don't want to tell them, right? But when we're a child and we're living in our parents' house, we we are the child. <laughs> we are such an integrated part of that family. Um, and the and that most important thing is having that autonomy, being able to, okay, but this is my information to share with people or not to share with people um, and respecting that within the family, even with and those best intentions. Yeah. It's not just a levels of like empowerment. It's sometimes levels of safety as well, too. Um, it's levels of kids being concerned about the well-being of the family unit. I have a lot of my trans non-binary kids who have like older grandparents and they're opting not to tell them because they don't believe generationally they will actually be able to understand or conceptualize mm -hmm. what the kid is going through. And so the kid's making a choice not to hide their identity for protective reasons, but actually for love of their grandparent. Also, too, understanding if I come out and my parents start announcing it, there are parts of the community that may not be affirming or welcoming of that. And as a kid, I may know what those are. So we need to look at all these levels of safety, family dynamics, and your kids' empowerment when you as a parent want to start talking more openly about this. Absolutely. Beautiful. Uh, so OutTalk is for doctors, therapists. It's for uh, people in the care community. What are some of the things that, um, that your participants in the show and that you really want caregivers, doctors, 
counselors, even attorneys, um, you know, accountants? What are some of the things that you want them to know as they are working with people in the LGBTQ plus community? Ooh, that's a long list. Let's start <laughs> with a couple of the basics. Education, education, education. The more you are willing to learn and understand about my community, the more affirming you're going to be in your practices and in your connection with my community. And I don't just mean reading a book or going on a website and reading a study. I think education comes from being involved in your community to see how can I step up and, you know, volunteer some time, go to a workshop, attend a lecture with an LGBTQ affirming approach in my community. How can I step up and start to gather that information? Really important first step. Another thing, as I was just talking earlier, if you bring the idea of sexual orientation as a full spectrum part of your practice, as much as you might ask about marital status, you know, about education, about um, socioeconomic questions, it might substance use questions, they might be all part of your intake. Let's make it easy and powerful for talking about sexual orientation and gender identity to also be part of that conversation. Because once again, if in an intake, I ask you, could you, um, how would you describe your sexual orientation? How would you describe your gender identity? I tend to use a narrative form in that versus a checkbox form because there is no checkbox list long enough to include everyone's idea of sexual orientation and gender identity. So narrative form gives more space to that. By asking those styles of questions early in the intake session, even if I'm not out, if I'm not part of the LGBTQIA plus community, I know that you have set up a language that says you could talk about this here. And then later down the line, I've had clients years later, you know, talk and say, you know, I realized that I may be bisexual, but because we had started that at the beginning of our conversation and made it such a, this is just part of a full spectrum of a person, they were comfortable coming in and starting to unpack that story. So bringing it in from the beginning. Finally, I would say it needs to be a top to bottom thing. If you're an individual practitioner, you're able to manage this on all levels. If you're a group practice owner, you need to make sure from the intake forms to the staff, to whoever's answers the phone, to all of your clinicians, they need to have this education so that you as an agency are affirming from top to bottom. Everybody needs to be able to share the same language. I go out and I do a lot of trainings with organizations. And that's the thing that we talk. Oftentimes they will just invite their top level people. And I say, no, 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 we need to have, we need to have the cleaning people. We need to have the, the cooks. We need to have the, the TAs. We need to have everybody who's involved. We need to have the front office person here so that you can create an affirming environment from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, and can you tell us about your own counseling experience? I see that you said you had a great one. Can you share with us how that went? Well, I've been really blessed. I have had my therapist as part of my life for ooh, at least 30 years now. Wow. I, um, I, when I was younger, I had a really great therapist and I thought that's what all therapists were like. <laughs> and then I went out in the world and I had some interesting to bad therapists. And then I found my current therapist and she is an amazing aspect of my life. 
Um, she's creative. She's insightful. She's smart. She's blunt. All of those things that I look for in a therapist. And we work, we have an ongoing relationship. I don't see her all the time. You know, every once in a while, I'll go for a few years, not, and then I'll call her up and say like, okay, some stuff's coming up. I'll go see her. We'll work for six sessions. I'll go out in the world again. I'll come back. Oh, deep stuff's happening now. We'll work for a couple of years. Go away, come back. And the fact that she's the holder of my story makes it such a powerful and, and delicious and deep relationship. Yeah, that's beautiful. I like that you describe her as the holder of your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a she's a thirty year long human diary, um, yeah. and she she understands the new stuff that's coming up because she understands the old stuff. Um, well, it is funny up. because something new will come up, and then I'll be like, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh. and then she'll say something like, "Oh, well, is that that thing about your relationship with your dad and money?" It's like, ah, oh. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, let's go. And I love that she can do that. I also love that she's an art therapist too. So it's very creative, which is good for my being. And I hate to tell you this, Julie, but she's a dog person. <laughs> Me too. And her dogs are part of therapy. Um, and it's an amazing experience with them because they'll come into the office and sometimes um, they'll just like lie down in their bed and just be like, mm, yeah, therapy's having on. And then some days like you'll come in and they'll like send and they'll like jump up on the sofa and then put their head on your lap and just kind of mm-hmm. lay there and be supportive. And you're like, how did you know? <laughs> so I, I love that she has animals as part of her work. Absolutely. I love that you identified, you know, these are the things that I'm looking for in a therapist. Um, and I, I love that because you've, you've done the work to go, okay, I tried this person. Nope. That wasn't a fit. And you learn from it. And then you go to the next person. Okay. That wasn't a fit. That was a mediocre experience and you learn from it. And then when you identify this person, you're like, yep, these are the things I'm looking for. And this is why it works with this person. I, I think that's beautiful and a beautiful, um, model for other people who might be thinking about starting counseling. You know, one of the things that I do in my practice that I think is important for consumers to understand is that we do a thing where at the first session, we commit to doing three sessions together. And then at that third session, we actually talk. Am I a good match for you? Are your needs a good match for what I do? And either of us can pull the plug on this. If they decide I'm not the right therapist, I can give them referrals in the community that might feel like a more authentic match for them. If we feel, if I feel like I'm not quite the right person for them, once again, I'll refer them to better people because not every therapist does everything well. You need to understand that it's not every therapist does everything well. If we can decide to continue together, which is usually the result by that third session, we then start setting our goals and really look at what we're doing and what we're moving towards. I hear so many stories of people of, I just stayed with this therapist and they were awful, but I couldn't like, couldn't, couldn't leave or I couldn't tell them that it wasn't right. And I think as clinicians, we need to take that on ourselves to understand it is our duty to constantly check in with our clients and make sure that we are offering them what they need, not what we believe they need. And so anyone who's looking to start with a therapist, you are allowed to interview them. You are allowed to ask questions back. It's one of my favorite things. It's like, I've been talking during this session and asking you questions. I want to take these last few minutes and allow you to ask me questions. What do you want to know? And that type is so important in building this relationship. 
because there have been myriad studies over the years to look at all the different techniques that we have learned as therapists. And do you know what always comes back as the number one reason why people believe therapy works? It's their relationship with their therapist. That relationship is the number one thing that we can bring into that room. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned that you had had some not great therapists as well, or ones that you didn't connect with. Um, how did you keep going and like not just give up on therapy in general? What made you keep looking for the right therapist for you? I would suspect it's partially because of that early experience with a good therapist. It made me understand what therapy could be and how it would work for me when I had the right match. And I, you can tell pretty quickly if you really like check in with yourself, do you feel, you know, comfortable talking to this person? Do you feel this person is getting you? Do you feel this person's questions are, are, are in line with what you're looking for in your therapy? Does this person push you occasionally to places that you didn't know you were looking for in therapy and you find those to be beautiful, powerful, and growth oriented? Those are some of the things that I encourage people to look at in building that relationship. And once again, it is a relationship. Absolutely. And you are a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so much of the theme of what we've talked about today is all relationship. You're doing it in your practice. You're focusing on that relationship. Um, but even as you approach support for LGBTQIA plus children, you're bringing in that family dynamic. You're bringing in, okay, everybody is going through this process together, just like we go through any other process together as a family. And there are all those different relationship pieces. And your book is really uh, speaking to those relationships and how those are the central, most important part of this process. Uh, and your your monthly web series that out talk is focusing on that relationship between providers and support staff in the community and the their patients. Um, it's all about that relationship. And I feel like that's that's such a, a um, core piece of all of these different projects that you're doing is it's all about the relationships. And I think that is so cool. Um, because like you said, the book, yes, it's not only talking about relationships with your children when it comes to coming out, it is talking about relationships with your children in general, any piece of who they are. Um, and the same thing with out talk. It's not just about your LGBT, LGBT plus <laughs> clients. I can't talk. Um, it's about every client and opening that door for every client to have the conversation. And if the conversation is, I identify as cisgender and, you know, or, or if the person writes down, I'm a man and I'm straight. Great. Mm -hmm. We've had the, we've opened the door for that conversation. And that's a great conversation to have. Just like you, you said with that, uh, with that client. Yes, because you've been through the process. You're not defaulting to, okay, I'm straight. I'm, I'm a guy. Right? Like you're, not, you're not going to that as a default. You're thinking about it first. And then if you come back and you go, yep, I'm straight. No great. You've been through that process. You know it now, right? So I think that that is just so beautiful, that focus on relationships that you're doing in all of your work. And remember too, that when I come out as a kid, 
I am dropping a pebble in the middle of a big pond and the first waves go out into family and then it goes out in extended family and then it goes out into community that we, this coming out process is a relational experience that goes out into all aspects of how I walk through the world. And that's an important thing for parents to understand as well. Absolutely. So if you could give one suggestion to somebody on the fence about start starting counseling, what would that be? If you're on the fence about starting counseling, you probably should have started about a year ago. <laughs> you yeah. know, for me, the thing about most people who come into our office is there's this misunderstanding that therapy is a response to crisis. And I personally believe and have used therapy in my life as a tool of growth is a place where I can come in when I'm starting to have curiosities and questions and want to deepen my life experience and having a good and powerful therapist to walk along that journey with you can be absolutely amazing and stunning. Mm -hmm. I love that. If you're on the fence, you, <laughs> you should have started a year ago. I love that. Um, because as soon as we think, Ooh, therapy might be useful right? We're, we're potentially past the point where it could be preventative. Um, and, you know, we're not, we're not firefighters. We are uh, the people coming to the school and teaching kids about fire safety. And really when we do it in that way and we go, okay, prevention, prevention, we want to build the relationship before we have the crisis, because now we've got a person that can help us with the crisis. And that's already been done. That relationship has already been established. So I love that. That's beautiful. I'm John Sovek and I need a counselor. Awesome. Me too. So does Krista. Uh, we all need a counselor. And I, I love what you're saying about prevention, prevention, build the relationship. Um, so if you are listening and you are a provider in the mental health field, in the health field, um, or just anybody who works with people, um, definitely check out OutTalk um, for those monthly uh, episodes and discussions. Um, and like John said, anybody can join and listen to those, um, that it's beneficial discussion for you no matter who you are um, in our society. And then also check out the book. Uh, the book is Out, A Parent's Guide to Supporting Your LGBTQIA Plus Kid Through Coming Out and Beyond. And I think we talked a lot today about the beyond part um, as well. So I love that that's included in the subtitle there. So go check out uh, those resources. And uh, if you are in California uh, and you're looking for individual counseling or family counseling, um, definitely reach out to John as well. Uh, so thank you so much for being here, John. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This has been great. All right. Uh, if you are in Iowa and looking for uh, individual or family counseling or in-home behavioral health counseling for your kiddos, um, give us a call at 800-531-4236. If you're a mental health therapist looking for play therapy CEUs, uh, either live or uh, recorded CEUs, check us out at patreon.com forward slash heart and solutions to get all of those recorded play therapy trainings so that you can get your play therapy certificate. Um, and if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, please go ahead and like this video if you liked it uh, or comment any questions uh, or supports that you have. 
And like Julie mentioned at the beginning, we do post new episodes every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central. So save up your laundry or whatever task you hate doing that week and reach out or listen to our episode. And then we can help you reach out to our guest um, or reach out to your own counselor and get started with services or set up an appointment this week as well. And we do have a new phone number. So if you would like to send us a text or leave a voicemail anonymously, we can answer your questions on our next episode. And our phone number is 515-650-3231. Or you can also send us a message on our Facebook at You Need a Counselor Podcast or on our Instagram at You Need a Counselor Podcast. So I'm Krista Hunt. And I'm Julie Johnson. And we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye.